Hi, I'm Suzanne Lasser, and this is Bilingual in America. Today's episode focuses on two of the many amazing educators and leaders attending this year's La Cosecha Conference. Last season, we spoke with Haley Laughter of Hojo Total Wellness and her work with the Navajo community and other indigenous people through yoga. Today, I speak with Patrick Guerito, the coordinator of tribal initiatives of Dual Language Education New Mexico. He works with Dual Language Education New Mexico during the year, and you can also catch him at this year's La Cosecha Conference. During our conversation, he shared that he's currently working with three schools that are funded by the Bureau of Indian Education through the United States Department of Education. Let's listen in as he shares a bit about bringing both visibility and conversation to indigenous languages this year at La Cosecha. Thank you for having me. Patrick, you know, oftentimes when we think about emerging bilinguals or bilingual and multilingual education, people really just associate it maybe with, you know, Spanish and English speakers or Mandarin programs. However, it's a very large umbrella and we are looking to continue and expand that conversation when we think about uh, indigenous peoples. And so if you can talk a little bit about the work that you do beyond the conference. I started with dual language education in Mexico back in 2016. And prior to me joining the organization, DLEM did not uh, work with tribal communities or did not provide support to schools that have indigenous programs. So when I joined the program or the organization, uh, one of the things that they we talked about is how do we support schools that are serving tribal communities? And so uh, one of the things that we focus on is not beginning, not starting with the school, but really starting with the tribal community. From, a, from an indigenous perspective, indigenous languages are sort of owned by the community, right? And, and, and no, no one person or no one group can, can lay claim to, to that language. So we start with the, with the community. And as you might know, or some of you, some, some people might know is that uh, indigenous people have encountered forms of colonization over their history. And so yes. it, depending on where the tribal communities are, they, they might have one or two periods in their history where colonization happens. So just to give you an example here in New Mexico, we had the Spanish period, then the American period. Over the years, uh, indigenous communities uh, had to go through that phase or that time in history. So coming back to now, we realize that some of our tribal communities over the years have put the language and the culture aside because there's this ideology that sort of puts in people's mind that if you speak English, you'll be successful. Or if you embrace Western American ideology, there, there's, there's success for you. And so when that happens, uh, a lot of our tribal communities tend to put their own language and their own knowledge to the side. And over time, they, they, it, it, it sort of becomes uh, not appreciated or not valued. So that's why we start with the community and we talk about language perception, language attitude, language shift, and even colonization. 
of, of how that has impacted the community. Uh, and then we also talk about language equity. And the idea here is to really get the community people to really embrace and appreciate not only their language, but the knowledge that is indigenous to that community. Eventually what we want to get is that we want the community to define their own cultural and linguistic expectations for language learning. Because uh, for tribal communities, it's really um, language revitalization because language shift is happening. More and more homes are using English and less and less homes are speaking the indigenous language. And so that's the work that we've started here at DLEM. And once that narrative, sort of speak, that community narrative is sort of defined, that sort of becomes the blueprint for language program planning at the schools. Then from there, they can say, okay, what, what is that the community want in terms of expectations, in terms of language learning? And so then we start working with the schools with, with the community narrative being sort of the blueprint, the, guide, the guidance, if you will, for language program planning. And so uh, it's, it's a very, um, it takes time, it's a process. Um, and so it's, it's not one of those things that you can just do in a year or two, because if you really think about it, colonization has gone through generations. So we're really trying to go back and slowly um, deconstruct these ideologies and, and, re and reconstruct Yes. indigenous language and indigenous knowledge what we call indigeneity if you will so that's the kind of work we're doing at the LEM. as you said it's long-term work right and you have to unpack first and then repack and I, I appreciate what you talked about this idea of you know language perception and language attitudes really starting at the grassroots level with families with the community because as much as you or others believe in the value of it, if that same belief does not come from home and within, then it's, you're constantly fighting that ongoing challenge. The idea that the communities can each identify their own language expectations is empowering. Mm -hmm. It's really helping the community develop, I guess, if you really think about it, a counter narrative to what the external narrative has on communities. Because right now, we, you know, you hear often like high unemployment, high health issues that are plaguing tribal communities. The COVID pandemic really put to the surface health disparities, inequities, but that's the external narrative on, on tribal communities. But from, from the counter narrative is that we still have our language, we still have our our traditional knowledge. We still have a way of, of our norms and values. And it's really reconnecting with, with those and really coming back in sort of a, more from an asset view rather than a deficit view of themselves and about their community and about their language. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it takes time, it takes time. Yes, and it seems that you're dedicated to that work and I'm sure that uh, you're one of many. And I think that being able to share this information, right? And uh, once you start to see it in certain communities, then other communities will hear about it 
and they will be more inclined to ask questions or to come and visit or to have conversations and then see what it might look like within their own community. Patrick, what have you learned about dual language education New Mexico since starting your work with them back in 2016? I realized that language and culture was what they were about. And one of the things that I learned from one of my one of my recent trips, which was out to Hawaii and, and, and really looking at the Hawaiian language, uh, there was a statement that was made by the, the school principal when she said, when it comes to the Hawaiian language, we don't make any compromises. And that little statement there really resonated with me. And it started to really put a lot of things into focus for me, where um, this organization that I work for really allows me to, to speak my truth and speak from my heart and really speak about language and culture. And so, um, Again, don't, don't get me wrong, I, I'm all for bilingualism. I'm all for uh, having our students be strong in both languages and both um, in, in, in both arenas. So um, the, the thing that really, uh, I guess, um, was the trigger point is when, when my parents told me, um, you're doing the work of, of, of language and culture and you're a speaker. You're, you're lucky to, to have parents that taught, that taught you the language where you acquired it. Yes. Now, now it's up to you. You're at that age now where you're a speaker. Now it's your turn to give back to the community. And so that's what keeps me going and that keeps me uh, on my toes, so to speak, the motivation with that. And I enjoy what I do with dual language in New Mexico. And one of the things that we're looking forward to the conference here in November La Cosecha is that we have some sessions on indigenous language. We have a session on teachers, indigenous language teachers talking about teaching during the pandemic, how to teach indigenous language through technology, through Zoom or Google Meet, because some tribes are very restrictive on their language. They're, okay. they're, they're very, uh, there's a lot of restrictions to it. So there was some very interesting challenges that a lot of these language teachers encountered, but somehow they, they went through that two years of pandemic and still try to teach the language to the students. So they'll have a, there, there's a session about that. And then we're also gonna have a session on what I mentioned earlier, how do we get school leaders and community leaders to really have this paradigm shift of putting the community narrative first when it comes to accountability and, and not making any compromises when it comes to the community language. How do, how do we get people to, to really think that way? We're not saying don't do the state or federal mandates. What we're saying is there, there should be an, an equal responsibility of accountability to, to the community expectation, similar to what, you, what we do with state and federal mandates. It should be the same. We shouldn't put language and culture to the side. That's gonna be one of our sessions too. One thing I just wanna mention for the conference is uh, we're gonna have a, a powwow where we're gonna have uh, dancers, different styles of dancing. Here, the idea is to bring in the community people, indigenous people to come to and share with, with, with our conference goers, some of the different styles of dancing in, in the powwow arena. It's all about what David Rogers and I, we talked about 
is is how do we go beyond just a few languages, but really all languages. And so indigenous language as as being one of those. And so um, I think um, it's over the years, Dave has been very supportive. The organization has been very supportive of our efforts to bring in indigenous people, indigenous speakers, some native scholars to talk. And so this year we'll have another person, native person, uh, doing a keynote address as well. So those are just some things of highlight for the conference. A lot to look forward to, a lot of important information access, networking, and uh, bringing visibility mm -hmm. and conversation to something that has definitely been overlooked. And it's always interesting for me, whenever we're talking uh, with guests who have maybe lower incidence languages or languages that are you know, no longer as vibrant as they once were, the challenge is always the same. A previous generation decided it's just not good to do it because status wise, we want to show that we have assimilated or that we have made it. And it becomes at the expense, right, of, of language and eventually at cultures. The fact that you are using the gift that your parents gave to you, and that's now, no pun intended, translating into opportunities for more and more communities and children and elders to even think about what their role is in the continuity of language and culture as continue moving in to, to the next phase uh, of what life looks like in this country. So I really appreciate the time that you've given us this afternoon. I look forward to meeting with you at La Cosecha, participating in a session, and of course, seeing the beauty of the indigenous dances and the different styles at the powwow. You know, la cosecha in Spanish means the harvest. How would you translate that in your native tongue? What would that be? What would that sound like for our listeners? <laughs> the harvest. Uh, that in, in, in Navajo, they would say that or that nesta. The, the the fruits the corns have harvest or the the crops right so yes. it, it, that would that that what comes to mind is that nest that nest or that nest, yeah that nest it's, it, they're they're ripe or they're 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 ready to be consumed so <laughs> that's how I yeah. would think about it yeah that's the first thing that comes to mind the harvest but I I think I think in the broader context I I, I think it's it's about nahitol nash uh, something to revive, right? And I think from 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 our perspective as as indigenous people, every day elders pass. Uh, we know that in the world, almost every day or every month, a language goes dormant, and the time is is starting to really creep up on language loss. And this is a very interesting conversation that I had with my with my father when I was talking to him about my work and what we do in terms of language loss and language shift. And he basically said, you now can see it. You now can actually see language loss. And I, I it kind of like, wait, what, what does he mean by that? And of course we're having this conversation in Navajo. And he said, in, in, eh, you see it, that, that, that language loss. What do you mean by that? Your brother's grandchildren, do they speak Navajo? Do they understand that? Well, uh -uh. You see it now. That time you see it, that it's, like, it's like that sun 
is coming this way, that shadow is coming this way, that light's coming to towards you. Pretty soon it's going to be dark. Pretty soon there's going to be no language. So we can no longer say we're we're preserving, we're we're maintaining. It's really about pushing that light back, pushing that light back. And so when you see it now, it's that's when it's really on your doorstep, so to speak. So. So when, when, when I think about La Cosecha and Harvest, that's the other thing. The bigger picture is like, how do we revitalize? How do we bring back something to fruition, to, to the vitality of our language? And it's a very beautiful language. And hopefully in my lifetime, I, don't, I, I still continue to hear the language. But of course, you know, I don't know. You are planting those seeds right? You are sharing what you know. You are helping others to also do the same work that you are and allowing children to be raised in a community where language is valued. One is not more important than another. Both can coexist. I love that imagery of this rebirth, this regrowth, this expansion, because there are cycles when we think about planting. And this clearly is part of your time and making sure that it happens. Thank you for sharing that. And I appreciate this opportunity to talk with you and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for having me. My co-host Yarina Sencion spoke with the newly appointed executive director of Dual Language Education New Mexico, Mr. Michael Rodriguez. Michael has worked as a special educator and for 15 years as a site administrator for dual language. He is a native of New Mexico and proud to say that his wife is also in this field. Part of the work that Michael is going to be taking on as the newly appointed director is that he will be working specifically on keeping up with the changing needs of both culturally and linguistically diverse communities. Today, I'd like to welcome Michael Rodriguez, he is the new director of the Dual Language Education of New Mexico. And we are so excited to have you on and, and just to get to know you more, get to know um, your vision, your purpose, Michael. So welcome to Bilingual in America. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to spend some time with you today. I'd like to just give people a context always, you know, because of the work that we embark on. You could just share a little bit of your own personal bilingual roots. I think that that helps people connect with you and with, with our work. Sure. Um, I'm with Dual Language Education of New Mexico, and I am a native New Mexican, born and raised in northern New Mexico. And growing up, I was very fortunate to be immersed in the culture and the customs um, held by many of the Norteño communities, uh, which is very distinct here in New Mexico. You know, we enjoyed all the traditional foods, participated in all those religious rites of passage, and we listened to Spanish music. But one of the realities for people from my generation and those that have followed is that while all the adults around us always spoke and still speak Spanish, for various reasons, could be changing times, influences, the feeling of needing to assimilate, or their own experiences facing punishment when they were speaking Spanish as, as youths. You know, for whatever reason, passing that along to us, the, the use of our language was no longer a priority. And my parents are a, a prime example of that. My mom growing up and, you know, going through elementary school would be hit in the hand with a ruler 
for speaking Spanish in class. My dad from West Texas was held back in first grade because of his Spanish. So there was there was no view of that being an asset when he came into the classroom. Um, it was just a, a deficit that that had to be overcome, right? And they they wanted to to pull that from him. It wasn't until I really entered college. So when I was no longer sheltered by the smaller rural community that I was living in, that I felt like that small fish in a big pond and you know, really started to realize that I had all those comforts in the community that I was, that was raised in and um, realized that disconnection or I guess the need for a reconnection and a stronger connection with Spanish as part of my own identity. You know, it was at that point that I really decided that reclaiming Spanish was something that I wanted and needed for myself to really complete who I was. So I got involved with Chicano studies in college and um, joined different groups like the, I was the president of the Hispanic Honor Society at the University of New Mexico. And, you know, really starting to connect with other like-minded and, and like-experienced people. That's so beautiful. And, you know, often in my conversations with folks, I hear this question about identity and, and completing that, that conversation, that picture, that final piece of the puzzle, it's really important to ground ourselves in who we know ourselves to be and where we've come from. Right. And, you know, in, in the work that I do, I, in the beginning was, you know, somewhat ashamed of, of the, the amount of Spanish that I have. You know, I didn't grow up speaking. It is my second language, you know, working with all these very proficient academic level Spanish speakers was intimidating. But I've learned over the years that I have to, you know, accept reality, my experiences, just understand that that I have my own story and my own connections to, to where I'm at. You know, and I appreciate you saying that. So many people feel shame when they don't know as much of their their family's native language, and then they feel like that's not their language or that they're not connected in some way. And I, I want to you know, do away with those myths. You know, I grew up my first language Spanish, but I certainly dominate English much better. And I feel that I trip up when I'm speaking Spanish because it's not the language that I live in all the time. And exactly. so, but that's okay. Yeah. Even the positions that I've held, you know, the, the amount of opportunities to use my Spanish and, you know, really practice it and perfect it have been minimal, right? We do lots of trainings, we do lots of meetings, all these different things in English. So when I was a, an administrator, it was that interaction with the parents and the students that really kept me grounded and, and closer connected to the, the use of my Spanish. One of my personal goals in life is to, to do away with the, the shame and the, the, the myths that we carry about how our language development happens or, you know, or people who have Latino last names and then they're asked, do you speak Spanish? And they're like, shame on you. How come you, you, you know, you didn't learn Spanish? And they're like, uh, or, right. or no little Spanish. And um, I love what you're sharing. I really appreciate it so much. I want to shout that message out to the world, you know, and, yeah. and, and have people just feel complete about who they are and their identity. Right. And, and my path as a bilingual educator and administrator have really confirmed many of those beliefs that I came to defend regarding the importance of language. 
you know, I really believe that one's culture and identity are stronger when connected through the language. And, you know, I, I lived that when I was outside of, of this uh, small sheltered place that I grew up. So having been involved with um, the development of numer numerous Spanish dual language programs in New Mexico, you know, I've since had opportunities to venture into what it is in, in other communities. We, as an organization, we've done work with the indigenous communities here in New Mexico. I had opportunity to go up to Juneau, Alaska and work with the Tlingit tribe there, some Japanese language programming in Hawaii. Uh, so it's, it's really broadened my lens of, of what that looks like. So I've really seen firsthand the power of uh, bilingualism and biliteracy. And, you know, for those students whose first language is Spanish, dual language really gives them the opportunity to build a strong foundation while better facilitating their acquisition of English and maintaining their roots and their culture and, and their, their own language. For heritage speakers like me who learned it later, uh, gives language development really a place and a purpose and really strengthens those connections with our roots and opens up a world of possibilities. So for me, it, it opened up a whole career path that I never intended on or dreamed of. Right. So since you bring up some of the work that, that you've embarked on in your career path, let's talk a little bit about all those contributions and all those pathways that you follow that have led you right now to this moment. Yeah. So I can't talk about my my history and where it started without talking about uh, my wife. So I I've been with my wife. Uh, we we were started dating when we were juniors in high school, and we've been together ever since. So 30 years later, uh, we're both educators. We both returned to our hometown and a place where my dad retired 25 years of teaching. We both fully intended to spend our careers in our own community. As a teacher, I served as a secondary special education teacher, and when I was at the university, I was initially a business major. So as I started teaching, you know, I started I started finding myself drawn towards the, the systems and the organization and the, the bigger picture pieces of schooling. So I went back for my administrative license, you know, got my degree, uh, master's degree in educational leadership. And, you know, that opened up a whole other set of opportunities for me. Community was only 25 minutes from Santa Fe. So I was able to commute and become an administrator in that district. With the Santa Fe Public Schools, I was placed as, a, as an assistant principal. And the year prior, the school had already been talking about dual language, you know, moving from a, a transitional bilingual program to a dual language program. And lo and behold, we brought dual language education in New Mexico in to, to do a DL 101 with our staff, give us information of what we needed to be thinking about. You know, as an administrator, I had the opportunity to help start that program as well as two other dual language programs and really understand the intricacies of what it takes to make programs that are sustainable. So DLNM has, throughout all those startups that I did, has been a, a guiding light and a partner and a, really a provider of knowledge, both through the conference as well as the different leadership and instructional uh, strategy trainings that, that are offered. So six years ago, after serving as an administrator for 15 years, I had the opportunity to come to DLNM as their director of operations so for the past six years, I've been able to help lead the expansion of our program leadership and design offerings and work with districts, schools, state agencies around the country to really develop sustainable dual language programs. That's such a beautiful contribution and legacy of work that, that you continue to grow now into this new exciting venture. So now as you take on the baton of 
of the dual language education of New Mexico director. Like what vision and fresh view do you bring to the forefront here? Yeah, so there's there's a lot that I've learned, you know, actually being in the in the dual language programs, growing those programs. One, I was able to start a brand new K through eight school from scratch. You know, I had a budget and I had a building and, you know, had to hire all the staff. We had to build furniture, curriculum, all those pieces. And through those experiences, I've, I've definitely learned a lot. But DLNM has been around since the early 2000s. And uh, many people know us from La Cosecha. You know, we, we, we put on that conference every year. But uh, there's also all these leadership and instructional trainings around dual language and, you know, English learners that we provide as well. So there's lots of uh, great things that have been happening and growing within the organization over the years. One of the things that really drew me to the organization is that it's always been by teachers for teachers. So all of our facilitators all have dual language classroom experience and or experience working with the indigenous communities in the school setting. So we've always aligned ourselves with like-minded partners, whether that's organizations in the state nationally, service providers that do similar work. We don't see it as a competition, right? We're, we're all working for the same goal. The researchers, right? All the, all the big names and research practitioners. So get, getting back to the four teachers by teachers, we always wanna promote that teacher voice. So our quarterly publication, Soleado, always has teachers and folks that are you know, in the fields sharing their experiences so that others can, can learn from that. Same thing at the, at the conference, you know, making sure that we have, that we give extra points to teachers who provide presentations uh, around classroom practice and in another language. And uh, none of that would be, you know, possible if we didn't have our, our former executive director, David Rogers, our board uh, over the years, who is, I'd say over 90% has been administrators and teachers, right? We're really uh, education focused. And uh, the staff who have been involved over the years who have really molded that. <laughs> All that to say that looking forward with my taking over of the, of the organization, uh, in 2022, we have a new leadership team uh, structure and uh, are really building on that foundation. So over the last couple of years, our, all of our world was turned upside down. You know, rather than, than dwelling on what could have been or where we were headed, we really see it as an opportunity to re-envision how we do things and what our impact is with the communities we serve. Right. Uh, I appreciate that you said a couple of things there. You talked about sustainability because we want to attract more educators to this beautiful work of uh, maintaining dual languages. Right. And then the other piece that I really appreciate when you said is by teachers for teachers, about empowering teachers with voice. So often I think teachers, when they return to their buildings, they, they might feel defeated in, in that aspect, but to have a place that really gets your message and is, is committed to making things happen. And I appreciate the energy that you bring and the freshness. I, I just talking with you, I just feel just alive, you know, just the, the excitement and, and, and just the light that you're bringing to uh, yeah. the language education of New Mexico. Thank you. And it's, like I said, it's been a, it's been part of my career that I never imagined, but uh, it's really become a passion, right? And so I'm very excited about 
what we're able to do and what our impacts can be in the future and how we can shift things that we've done in certain ways to really meet what our communities are, are needing now. So whether that's virtual learning, right? We, we had to shift all of our in-person trainings to virtual and some schools and districts for either financial or other reasons wanted us to keep that as, as one of our offerings. So now we do things in person around the country and we also do things virtually. So that was a, a shift. We're also looking at the different resources that we have on our online clearinghouse. You know, what is it that people really want and need that's gonna help them to, to be successful? It sounds like you really have good feel on um, what's on the pulse, right? Of what's needed and staying flexible so that you could reach as many folks as possible. We don't wanna, Definitely. Not, you know, not be able to reach someone because of finances, distance, because of fear, whatever might be in their space and in their consciousness. Yeah. But, um, you mentioned the conference though, and I wanna get all oh. those deets and like, what can we expect? Cause I love this conference. Yes, so La Cosecha is back. You know, we after going in 2020 completely virtual last year, hybrid with a, a very big virtual component to it. We're moving back to, you know, kind of where we used to be and that that great feeling that, that people have being in person with each other and collaborating and building the networks in person. So we'll be in Santa Fe November 3rd through 5th with uh, November 2nd being our pre-conference and uh, school business day. So we have seven pre-conferences that are being offered by different providers, right? Different partners of ours from around the country who, uh, like I said, we're, we don't see it as a competition. We're all in this for the same goal. So we, we have lots of folks doing those. And then we have 10 in-person and two virtual site visits that we'll be doing with schools in both in the Santa Fe and, and Albuquerque areas. So that's gonna be an exciting piece as well. This year, we're looking at bringing over 2,500 educators, parents, researchers, practitioners from all over the country together, both in person and virtually. And we're going to have over 220 professional presentations and workshops. So we're, we've really uh, grown the number of offerings that we have during the conference. And they're in nine different strand areas. So if you're a teacher and you're looking at you know, specific biliteracy or language arts types of things, you'll find plenty of those. If you're an administrator looking at a new program, you know, if you want the research, if you want, you know, an indigenous strand, we have all these different pieces. So uh, it's very exciting and uh, can't wait to, to be with everybody. Wow, 2,500 expected, over 200 offering, 200 course offerings, I think you said workshops. 220, yeah. 220, it sounds very robust. I feel the buzz already. There's nothing like getting together with educators to really grow our craft, the conversation, the commitment, and then going out into the world again and, and making it happen. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's very exciting. As a principal is always a place that I like to go to kind of reboot, right? And, and get refreshed and re-energized. And I know that the teachers feel the same way. It's just a, a great, great community to be with. So if people are interested, it's not too late to register, right? It's not. Um, we are still taking registrations. We may have to cut off the in-person as we get closer to the date. So if uh, you can't make it in person, you, we do have the virtual online. There's both live online and live streamed from the actual conference sessions that will be going on, as well as our plenary sessions will be live streamed. So it's an opportunity for folks there. 
If you are in person, we want to make sure that you guys don't miss our benefit dance. If you can stay through, through Saturday when the conference ends, Friday night, we're going to be having a benefit dance, something we do every year to raise money for uh, high school seniors who want to become teachers, as well as educational assistants who want to become teachers. So we, we have that scholarship fund. We're featuring Las Cafeteras. They're a Chicano LA band, very tied closely to social justice. And we're looking at having an Norteño, Northern New Mexico band open up for them so that you all get a flavor of, of the, the region that you're in. Saturday afternoon as well, after the conference ends, the ends of noon, we'll be having our annual powwow. So we'll have dancers, drum groups from many of the tribes in the area. And it's really a celebration of our indigenous communities and the contributions to the region. I mean, when we talk about robust, this is robust yes. in every way, culture and music and just everything that one can possibly experience and learn from and just Sounds delicious. I can't wait. Yeah. I, I didn't mention our, I think I mentioned it earlier, the uh, Indigenous Strand, but we also have a Student Leadership Institute that we do every year, you know, trying to make sure that, that we're helping support those students who, you know, have that potential and really want to, want to uh, run with it. We also have a Parent Institute because, you know, you can't have a, a quality program without well-informed and involved parents who the program is based on right you, you have to have it connected to your communities wonderful to register for the conference go to lacosechaconference.org folks that uh, are participating will have access to those video recordings of all the recorded sessions for 30 days after the conference so if you don't get to all the ones you want and you know they're being recorded you can jump on afterwards when you get home and have at it that's wonderful so you could either revisit something that you did see or catch something that you didn't. Yeah. I mean, that. how much added value could we have? I mean, that's just wonderful opportunities. Well, Michael, I'm excited that you've taken over the helm. I'm excited for the work that you're embarking on. I'm so, so inspired by you and your work and your vision. And I, I personally am going to be at the conference. So I look forward to meeting you in person. Yes. Can't wait. It'll be fun. Thank you so much for this time. Michael Rodriguez, our new director for dual language education of New Mexico, just already right there, ready to create new light and new magic. Thank you for your commitment, Michael. Thank you very much. Yarin and I had the opportunity today to share with you just a little bit from just two of the special people you can come in contact with if you participate in this year's La Cosecha Conference taking place November 2nd through 5th in New Mexico. Remember, you can participate both virtually or in person. We encourage you to join us, think more about dual language, and of course, until next time, continue to speak your beauty.